With an introduction to today's message, here's Anne Graham Lotz. When suffering comes into your life, Peter says, follow the example of Jesus. He was in God's will and suffered, but be encouraged that suffering can lead to greater witness, a greater ministry, and a greater glory. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to this week's Living in the Light with Bible teacher Anne Graham Lotz. Today, Anne presents an interesting question, a choice for you to make. Do you want to be a turkey or an eagle? Here's Anne to help you decide. Have you heard the difference between a turkey and an eagle? There's some obvious differences, but you can tell the real difference when a storm comes up. Because when a storm comes up, a turkey puts his little wings over his head and he runs under the barn and he just hopes it won't come near him. And he hopes that the storm does come near him, it won't be too bad. The eagle, on the other hand, when he senses the storm approaching, he leaves his nest and he spreads his wings and he lets the air currents of the storm take him higher in his flight than he could go on his own. The turkey is hiding under the barn. The eagle is soaring to new heights on the wings of the storm. May I ask you, which are you? When the storms of life come, when pain and pressure and suffering and trials come into your life, are you a turkey? You go hiding under the barn, putting your wings over your head, hoping it won't get too bad? Or are you an eagle? Would you spread your wings and let God use the storms in your life to take you higher in your relationship with Him, higher in your service than you could go on your own? The Apostle Peter is saying to you and me, when we're suffering and when we're serving, spread your wings, refocus your walk, put your eyes on Jesus Christ, live for Jesus Christ, first of all, when you're suffering. When you're suffering, for what are you living? Most of us, when we're suffering, are living to get out of the suffering. (laughs) Our whole aim is to get out of it, to get it over with, to have the suffering cease in our lives. And Peter says, certainly we want to get out of it, and we can pray for deliverance from the suffering. But that's not our aim. That's not what we live for. We are to live for Jesus Christ in the midst of our suffering. A good example of this is the Old Testament character, Joseph. And Joseph did everything right for his father, and he went to find his brothers, and he was thrown into the pit. Then he was sold into slavery and he did everything right in Potiphar's house and he was accused of something and he was thrown into prison. He did everything right in the prison and then he was forgotten for several years. Thirteen years, Joseph was in prison or in slavery in Egypt and he had done everything right. But every time a storm comes, we see him spread his wings and Joseph soars and he becomes head of Potiphar's house and then he becomes head of the prison until God just lifts him right up higher than he could go on his own and he becomes head of all of Egypt under Pharaoh. Joseph was an eagle. Peter was a turkey who became an eagle. Peter is someone when the storm of Gethsemane and the cross came, put the wings over his head and said, I don't want this. I don't want it to come near me. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And then Jesus began to work in his life and he met the risen Lord Jesus Christ and we see Peter spreading his wings. When the storms of life come, Peter soars high in his faith, higher than he could on his own. So he says, when you're suffering, live for Jesus Christ. First of all, live for his blessing in verses 8 to 16 of chapter 3. And if you would open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, in verses 8 to 16, he's telling you and me to live for God's blessing. In verse 9, he says, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. If you want to love life, 
and say good days. He goes on and gives the instructions, but basically is saying, live for Jesus Christ and live for his blessing. And when we're suffering, we live to get out of the suffering. And even when we're not suffering, what are some of the things that we live for? We live to be happy, and we live for family harmony, and we live to have maybe an increased bank account. We live to get a better job. We live to get some education. What is your goal in your life? What are you living for? And Peter is saying if it's anything other than living for the blessing of God, you can lose it. And you can be frustrated in it. So in verse 13, he said, Who is going to harm you if your aim is to live for Jesus Christ and do good? In other words, if your aim is to be healthy and you lose your health, your whole life can collapse around you. If you're living for your family and they grow up and get married and move off and you lose your family, then your whole life just becomes empty. If you're living to be beautiful and you grow old and perhaps you lose your youth and, and then your whole life falls apart. We see that in some of these movie stars and these entertainment people. They absolutely cannot handle it like a Greta Garbo. They go hide for the last 40 years of their life because their life has fallen apart. They've lost what they live for. If you live for wealth and you love the things that money can buy and for some reason the economy takes a downturn and you lose your job and you lose your money and you lose your bank account, your whole life disintegrates because that's what you were living for. Do you see, if, if you're living for anything other than the blessing of God, watch out because you can lose it. But if you're living for Jesus Christ, you can live for Him and you can fulfill that goal in your life no matter where you are. Whether it's in Potiphar's house or whether it's in Pharaoh's prison or Pharaoh's court, you can live for Jesus you can suffer or you can be happy. You can be healthy, you can be sick. You can be wealthy, you can be poor, but you can accomplish your aim of living for Jesus Christ and your life has purpose and your life has meaning. So Peter says, live for his blessing and if you're living for that, nobody can interfere with your goal. It can't be snatched from you. So Peter says, live for the blessing of God and if you're living for that, Nobody can interfere with your aim. You're going to fulfill it. It can be fulfilled in any circumstance, any situation. Don't be afraid of losing your aim or your goal. You just be afraid of losing the blessing, getting out of God's will. And it's a healthy fear to have, by the way. Live for his blessing. Secondly, when you're suffering, live for his will. And this is very similar to living for his blessing, but blessing is his favor and his grace in your life, and his will has more to do with his plan and purpose for you. And you live for his purpose, and you live for his plan. And that means we've got to surrender ours to him and give up what we had planned for our lives. Give up the goals we had set for our families. Give up whatever aim we had for our ministry, and we just say, Lord, we want what you want more than what we want. And God's will for us, Peter says, includes... Suffering. Chapter 3, verse 17, it's better if it is God's will, implying that it may be God's will to suffer for doing good. Chapter 4, verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will. There are people today who will tell you that if you're suffering, it's a manifestation that you're outside of the will of God. That if you're suffering, it must be because you're doing something wrong. That if you're suffering, it indicates that you're not receiving God's blessing. And Peter says, that's not true. That the will of God includes suffering. Now that can be a bitter pill to swallow, but that's the truth. 
And the example he gives you and me is of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus Christ was perfectly in his Father's will. He never stepped outside of his Father's will even for a shadow of a moment. And he suffered. Jesus suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered spiritually. He suffered mentally. He suffered every way you can imagine and much more than you and I will ever suffer ourselves. And he was in the will of his Father. Jesus is exhibit A. That you can be perfectly in the center of God's will and suffer. God's will includes suffering. And then he gives us some encouragement in verses 19 to 22. He talks about Jesus in verse 18. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. And so his body was dead and it was buried in the tomb. But in the Spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now that's not something I completely understand, but I do understand this. That because he suffered unto death, he had a door opened for him that he wouldn't have had opened otherwise. He had a greater ministry. He was able to preach to the spirits in prison in a way he couldn't have done had he not suffered and died. Suffering in your life, if you give it to God, will open up a door to greater ministry. I'll give you an example in a moment. Not only does it lead to greater ministry, it leads to a greater witness. Peter then uses the example of Noah, who suffered. And Noah, you know, was locked into the ark with all of those animals and seven other people. And I counted up the days today. It was one year and ten days, I believe, that he was cooped up in that ark with all of those animals and his wife and his sons and their wives. And that's suffering. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go through that. And, of course, we can joke about it, and I think that was a hardship but certainly it was suffering to preach to his generation, to have nobody respond, to have God close the door of the ark, to hear the rains crash down and the floods come up and to hear the screams of the people dying and knowing that the entire world was obliterated. Noah went through the equivalent of a nuclear holocaust, absolutely secure, absolutely safe. Because he suffered, he's had a greater witness. We look at Noah and we find the way to maintain security and safety in the midst of a storm. You go back and read that story, you'll find wonderful keys to maintaining security in our day and time when we're in danger of a nuclear holocaust or, or something worse. Noah gives witness to the fact that God can keep you safe right in the middle of a storm. And living in the last days, if the storm breaks and we have no idea what will happen in the Middle East and no idea what will happen in the world, Noah will say, you can hide in the ark you hide in Christ, and oh, you may lose your life, but you're absolutely secure eternally in Jesus Christ. He's had a greater witness because of his suffering. And then thirdly, suffering leads to greater glory in verse 22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Because he suffered, even unto death, he has been highly exalted above every name, one day every knee will bow to him, every tongue confess him. He has received a much greater glory because of his suffering. So do you see that suffering can lead to a greater ministry, a greater witness, and greater glory? Miss A. Wetherill Johnson was the woman who founded Bible Study Fellowship. She was a missionary to China for 14 years. Three of those years she was in concentration camp under the Japanese 
Miss Johnson suffered enormously. When she got out of concentration camp for 14 months, she was under house arrest from the communists. She suffered. Her health broke down and it deteriorated and they had to send her back home. And on her way to England, she stopped in Los Angeles. And she stopped there to recuperate, thinking that her ministry had come to an end. She had had this wonderful ministry in China and suddenly the door had shut and she was sent home. And somebody asked her if she would teach the Bible to five women in a home. And she said no, that she had been used to teaching pastors and teachers and it was beneath her to teach five housewives God's word. And then she said God spoke to her in her mind and said, Wetherall, I've done so much for you. Can't you do this small thing for me? And so she began teaching five women. And you know that it mushroomed into Bible study fellowship today. There are over 700,000 men and women all over the world studying God's Word using Miss Johnson's handwritten notes and her questions in the format of Bible study fellowship. Her suffering led to a greater ministry than what she had had in China. Her suffering led to a greater witness. She has impacted my life alone more than anyone else outside my family. And I know there are many of you in this room who could say the same thing about the impact she's had on your life. You can get her autobiography created for commitment. It's well worth reading. And perhaps through that autobiography, she will impact your life. But she's had a greater witness because of her suffering. And only God knows the greater glory that he has ushered her into as she has already gone to be with him. So when suffering comes into your life, Peter says, follow the example of Jesus. He was in God's will and suffered. But be encouraged that suffering can lead to greater witness a greater ministry, and a greater glory. Live for His will. It includes suffering. Secondly, it includes separation from several things. God's will for you and me includes separation from worldliness. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves with that same attitude, that He who has suffered in His body is done with sin. As a result, you do not live the rest of your earthly life for human desires, but rather you live for the will of God. And you live for the will of God, and that includes separation from sin and this worldly lifestyle. Now, I'm going to define worldliness for you in my terminology. To me, worldliness is not the world that we see around us as far as nature is concerned because God created that for His pleasure, and I believe He takes pleasure when we take pleasure in what He's created. Worldliness is the atmosphere that we have in the world, the pace of the world that's so busy and will keep you so busy there's no time for God, the pattern of behavior of the world that's according to what feels right, to what seems right, to what somebody else says is right, the preoccupation of the world with pleasure, the priorities of the world which are me first. That's worldliness. And you and I are to separate from worldliness. You and I can't walk at the world's pace. We're walking with God. And we don't live according to the pattern of the world. We're living according to the principles of Scripture. And our priority is not ourselves. It's the kingdom of God. And we're preoccupied not with pleasure but with Jesus. Do you see? You can't be worldly and belong to Jesus. To live for His will means automatically you separate from worldliness. In what way are you involved in the world? Yes, we are to go into the world, to witness to the world, and to be salt and light in the world, but you and I are not to draw our satisfaction from the world, and we are not to let the world press us into its pace and its pattern and its priorities and its preoccupation. And you've got to be on guard, or it will press you into those things. 
We are to separate from worldliness. We are to separate from wickedness. And I'll just define wickedness as a worldly lifestyle. He says we're to be done with sin. In verse 3, he says you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. And then he says debauchery, lust, drunkenness, and he lists all these things that pagans do. What did you do before you came to Christ? And I wonder what were the characteristics of your lifestyle? Who were your friends? What did you do? What did you do on a Saturday night? What were your pleasures? What did you enjoy? Many of those things, when you come to Jesus Christ and you're living for his will, you've got to separate from that. How much difference is there in your life before you knew Christ and after you've known Christ? There ought to be, if not a dramatic difference, at least enough difference that you can tell the difference. You and I are to separate from that old way of life. It's a wickedness. It's a worldly lifestyle. And then you and I are also to separate from worldlings. And I'll define those as just people who don't know Christ and who live in the world. Verse 4, they think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you when you separate from them. But they'll have to give an account to God who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter is saying you've got to separate from your old friends. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. In as measure as you love the world, you don't love God. That's what God says. So you can say you love Jesus, but if you're not separated from worldliness and worldlings and wickedness, then God says you're not loving him the way he wants to be loved. To live for his will means we must separate from these areas even when you're suffering. Sometimes when you're suffering, the tendency is to lean on somebody who comes close. And sometimes it's a worldling that comes close or a secular psychiatrist or someone like that. And, and you be very careful. When you're suffering, sometimes because you're hurting, you're vulnerable. And even when you're suffering, Peter says, live for the will of God. And the will of God includes suffering. And the will of God includes separation. Thirdly, the will of God includes self-control. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Here he comes. He's saying, you all, you're living in the last days. Therefore, because you're living in the last days and you're seeking to give out God's word to your generation, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Bring some discipline into your life. How disciplined are you in your daily schedule? How disciplined are you in your daily life? He says we are to be disciplined so that we can be faithful in our worship. Verse 7, be self-controlled so that you can pray. Be self-controlled so that you can be faithful in your worship. And your worship means that you're focusing your attention on Christ. That includes your Bible reading. That includes prayer. Be faithful in your worship and be self-controlled so that you're not only faithful in your worship, but be faithful in your fellowship with other believers. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. We are to extend ourselves to other believers. And he's speaking of believers with other believers. And you know that in the days of the tribulation that are yet to come upon the earth, there will be so much persecution poured out that if believers don't help other believers, they won't be able to survive. In fact, most of them are martyred anyway for their faith, but their very survival can depend on the hospitality of another believer. And Peter says, be faithful in your fellowship. Love each other. Put other Christians on a high priority in your list. 
and also so that you can be fervent in your work. Verse 10, be self-controlled so that you can use whatever gift God has given you to serve others. Use your gift to serve others. And I'm praying that most of you in this room have been spiritually gifted to teach God's Word, to pass it on to someone else. Do it with a servant spirit. Do it to serve others. It is so precious to me to be able to give out God's Word to you knowing that I'm serving the servants. That is a very high privilege to be able to give out God's Word to those who are going to be giving out God's Word. I love to take a pastor's conference or to, to speak to missionaries or, or to speak to leaders. You feel that you're serving those who serve, and there is an honor to that. And Peter says, be self-controlled in your study time and to go through these workshops and do that when you get home. That's going to require discipline. Be self-controlled so you can be fervent in your work, making the time to study, making the time to exercise your gift so that you can use your gift to serve others in the body of Christ. And then be self-controlled, not only so you can be fervent in your work, but fervent in your words. Verse 11, If anyone speaks, she should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. When you give out God's word, give it out with authority. Give it out with conviction. Give it out with enthusiasm. So many people think God's word is boring and dull and dry. And sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's the fault of the Bible teacher because that's the way they're giving it out. And they give it out with such high-sounding words it sounds like you would never be able to understand the Bible. And the Bible was written for ordinary people like you and me. It ought to be given out just as simply and clearly as everyday conversation. Give out God's Word as though you're giving out God's Word. Give it out with authority and conviction and joy. And that takes self-control. Because in order to give it out with conviction, you've got to be convicted about it, right? Meaning you've got to spend time in it so that you're convinced of the truth of it. You've applied it to your life. You know it works. And so without hesitation and with perfect confidence, you can give it out to the people in your audience. Living in the last days, live when you're suffering for the will of God. And God's will includes self-control. A person living in the will of God is a person who is self-controlled. Really, we might say spirit-controlled, under the control of the Holy Spirit, but that requires discipline, and you have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bring your life under His control. So when you're suffering, for what are you living? Peter says, when you're suffering, living in the last days, live for the blessing of God on your life, not the opinions of other people. Don't live for a good reputation. Don't live for recognition of others. Just live for the blessing and the favor of God. If you live for that, it can't be snatched away. And live for God's will, meaning that you're going to suffer very probably, and it's going to include separation, and it's going to include self-control, but God always fulfills His will. And if you live for His will, you know that your life is going to have purpose and meaning, and it will have a completion to it. You're going to become more and more satisfied. Satisfaction and fulfillment is found as you live in the will of God and nowhere else. And living in the last days, people are going to be running to and fro, looking for their satisfaction in all of these different places. It's found in God's will. When you're suffering, live for the will of God. Thirdly, live for the glory of God. The glory of God 
is his character. But it's more than that, it's the manifestation of his character. Do you remember in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were wandering around the wilderness? And that pillar of fire led them at night and the cloud by day. That was the manifestation of the glory of God, God's presence leading them through the wilderness. When they came to the tabernacle in the Old Testament and they set up the tent and the priest sacrificed, it said that the Shekinah glory, this golden glow, filled the tabernacle. That was a manifestation of the presence of God. When Moses went up Mount Sinai and he received the law from God, he came back and it said his face glowed and he had to put a veil over his face. The people could hardly stand to look at him. He was reflecting the glory of God. He had been in the presence of God and you could see it on his face. Living in the Light is a weekly study in God's Word with teacher and author Anne Graham Lotz. Learn to listen to His voice. Then start making the choice to keep on going and believing and trusting who God is. Go to angramlots.org. Take advantage of the many helpful free resources to get you started. Join us again for Living in the Light. <music>